John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 176.2C0416. Certificate number 43762. Jean Calment. For the first time, you are going to listen to the voice of Mrs. Jean Calment. My name is Jean Calment. Je suis le 21 février 1865 à Arles. I was born in Arles on February the 21st in 1875. Can I, uh, I know we shouldn't inquire about a woman's age, but mm. since that's the whole subject of this, uh, of this entry. Yeah. Um, are you comfortable, would your mom be comfortable talking about, uh, uh, how I'd, advanced in age she is? <laughs> I don't know if she would describe it that way, but my mom is in her 80s, her mid-80s, let's say. And she's very healthy. Yes. As we record... Robust. She's robust. Yeah. That's not a particularly feminine adjective. Hmm. Uh, well, you know, she's hearty. Sturdy is worse. <laughs> she's, a, she's, a, she's farm stock, you know. Hearty's good because it makes it sound like she uh, eats nutritious whole grains and... Uh, she does eat lifts well. It up. She exercises well. She has a positive mental attitude. The reason I thought about this is because just, you know, right outside the room where we're recording right now, she is painting your front porch. She is. <clears throat> and uh, you cannot stop her. She's like a, a, a postal person. When she is on her appointed rounds, neither rain nor sleet nor dead of night. Did you know that's not actually any kind of official U.S. Postal Service motto? Yeah, I did. I think we talked about it. Did we? Oh, in the mail trucks? Because you know what? It snowed here this winter. Did you get mail? I didn't get mail for like... Uh, not for several week. days. Like no. like snow immediately stopped them. <laughs> <laughs> even, even a light dusting of snow. <laughs> a light dusting of snow will not stop my mother, however. No, she, she kept coming to our house and being <laughs> like, where's your mail? Where's your mail? And I'm like, hey, John's mom. She's, yeah, she's indomitable. She's yeah. like a Terminator. That's right. Well, she wouldn't, you know, she's also a lady. So not a Terminator. She's not here to destroy you. She's not going through the phone book looking for people named Ken Jennings. She did not come through. killing them all one at a time. Come through time to, to change the future. No, she just, uh, she grew up at a time when resources were scarce and also that work was prized as a, you know, work was in and of itself virtuous. It was good. Yeah. And so she thinks of work as virtuous and she continues to find 
interesting ways to occupy herself. She doesn't just sit and do crossword puzzles. She's like out in the world and... She's painting your porch. Right now she's painting my porch and also cleaning my oven. So the house smells like it's on fire. <laughs> but at various times she... Um, she will decide that she's going to, like I, I told you, didn't I, that she ripped the page out of the phone book that had all the churches in Seattle. Wait, she is a Terminator. And she went, basically, this was several years she's ago. She's not putting a shape-shifting <clears throat> finger through, you know, uh, Reverend's foreheads, is she? No, 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 no. She's not behind a, an imaginary bookcase knocking books off in order to communicate with her daughter in the past. She's still alive. Um, she decided she was going to make a project of going to one service at least of every church in Seattle, every, I'm sorry, house of worship. So she went to, over the course of a year. Um, every synagogue, every mosque. That's every, right. Every, every Sikh temple, B'nai every parish. Uh, and so she attended services every single place as kind of just a personal survey of the, of the lay of the land. Here. I really identify with somebody who wants, who thinks everything is more fun when turned into a project. Because <laughs> I think my wife gets fed up with my idea that, um, let's put on, a, she'll say, let's put on a movie and I'll be like, okay, let's watch all the Coen Brothers movies in chronological order. Because to me, I just made it fun by making it a, a project we could work on. And that's the last thing most people want, I think. This morning when we, when I was walking out the door with my daughter to walk to school, and she objects to walking to school because her mother drives her the three and a half blocks and I walk her. And so she's like, I hate walking to school. And I said, now we're going to walk the long way to school. And so instead of turning right, we turned left. J just typical dad behavior. Was this to make it an adventure or did you, did you want to make it into a punishment? <laughs> no, I'm, uh, to make it into an adventure and to show her there's more than one way to get to school. And also she's ner she was nervous about the time. And I said, we're... We have a half an hour to walk, the 10-minute walk to school. So let's turn it into a half-hour walk. And we talked about uh, mental illness the entire way. So it was really <laughs> a learning experience for us both. But I, I'm the same as you. I, I turn everything into an adventure if I can. When you talk about your mom being a product of kind of a end of the Depression, World War II kind of a generation and how that affected her, it does make you weep for what our current generation will look like as elderly people. They'll have more <laughs> tattoos. <laughs> their their oh, uh, septum piercings are going to look weird. Their sagging necks will be <laughs> completely blue and tribal. But uh, yeah, but I don't know if they will have this idea that um, you got to keep going and that's the way to be. Uh, We've definitely turned against work in a way in our culture. It seems like now we think that if, if you work hard, you're some kind of dupe. And, you know, my mom just absolutely does not feel that way at all. And I, my sister pointed out, we were having, on Christmas, the whole family was gathered and we were opening presents and sitting around. And my mom was just bustling, you know. She was over here picking up the wrapping paper and over there making things. And she's not doing it in a kind of like mother hen way. She just sees things need to get little piles of garbage pile up. They need to go into the can she sees tasks. Yeah. And my sister and I are both all oh, full of muffins and laying back on the couch like, oh, I don't want to move. And meanwhile, my mom is moving like it was one of those like films where one character is <laughs> moving in a, at a, like a different time scale than the other. Clockwork Orange, your mom's yeah. bustling back and forth in the background. And Susan said, look, you know, this is why she is so strong and so healthy and so... And will be presumably so long lived. And look at you, Generation Muffin. And we're just like, Bleh. oh, I'm so tired. 
I've, I've been awake for two hours. My mom also chugs like a locomotive and it almost seems like she is maybe creating tasks. <laughs> you know, like my, uh, it should be said, my porch does not need painted. But yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, didn't, we didn't mention the porch is lovely already. But uh, like, for example, the last time I saw my mom, she'd been dog sitting our dogs. And she was going to come drop them off. And we're saying, don't, don't, don't come all the way over to Seattle. That's like two hours for you. Um, you know, we can meet you on the, at the ferry terminal. We can come to you and pick up the dogs. And she had a whole set of things she had invented to make this make sense. She's like, no, no, no. I have, a, I have this thing to return at Ikea. <laughs> and I had to know. I had to ask. I was like, hey, mom, how much is this return at Ikea that you were driving two hours for? And she was like, oh, it's, it's $23. <laughs> <laughs> she had to return $23 worth of ikea napkins or something so we were we were right on her way it totally made sense i don't understand that and that is true also of my mom like she'll go to the hardware store four different times in a day oh i forgot the wing nut oh i got the wrong size wing nut. i have to go back oh i forgot the wing nut glaze there's a point at which that is keeping you a lot and right? for, yeah, and for me, like the second time that I got the wrong thing, I would say, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. Generation Muffin. And she's just like, never tires. Of, I mean, I think probably after the fifth trip to the hardware store in one day, she would express a little bit of frustration. But no, it's absolutely keeps her going. My mom will absolutely express frustration about the very things that she is setting up for herself in her life to keep her busy and chugging like the locomotive she is, you know? Yeah. Can you believe, she was an elementary school librarian for many years, and it was constantly, can you believe what I had to do at the library? All the bulletin boards need to be redone. And meanwhile, the way she's talking about it, you can tell that she would have happily spent months putting up the spring into reading right. <laughs> spring bulletin board. Um, but well, can you believe how I had to, all this stuff today? I think it is, there is some generational thing. Like my dad loved to martyr himself, but my mom w does not martyr. She never points out the work that she's done in any form where she's asking for a, a, any acknowledgement or recognition. Like she doesn't seed the conversation with, um, you have a mother who doesn't constantly talk about her own suffering and sacrifice? I'm afraid I don't. Can you tell me what that's like? <laughs> it's really amazing. <laughs> in that in that one regard, I'm very grateful, you know, because my dad would have wouldn't have batted an eye to ask me to drive 500 miles to get the lid off of his ketchup bottle. Like it, as far as he was concerned, I was there as his servant and helpmeet and, you know, and and why court else, why else do you have kids yeah. if not to have a lackey? But you know, my mom, well, first of all, she would never, there's no jar in the world that she wouldn't find a way to get the lid off of it using some machine of her own design. And that would be the best thing for her. She would love that. <laughs> but all, yeah, it's like, it's like giving a dog a Kong full of peanut butter. My mom is not theatrical in a funny way. Like, you know, I kind of wish I, I had some Neil Simon Jewish mother or something, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have that. She's great. Um, she's not a, a, a comedy figure. But I do identify with this idea that um, you have to have something to keep you going. There's a thing called the birthday effect that I was just thinking of today. Um, actually, for a sad reason, I have a friend who lost his sister today. She she died. She wasn't all that old, but um, she she died of cancer and uh, oh. the day after her birthday. And I had been talking about this with him a couple of weeks ago that uh, there is a thing called the birthday effect where you're statistically incredibly likely to die on your birthday or shortly after. Really? Um, you make it, you make it there. Yeah. You, ha you, cause you gotta have a milestone. That's what, that's what keeps people alive is the next thing. 
and I am very much a the next thing kind of guy, and I am virtually guaranteed to die on or the day after my birthday. Like, <laughs> like I feel like it's 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 so set that um, you know it's I can start contacting funeral homes now and let them know I'm going to need an opening every year <laughs> at the end of May in the 2040s or 2050s. You don't know how, we don't know how long we're going to live, but um, we have a pretty good idea as a species. The biblical three score and ten is not that different today. Let's see, I have, I have current U.S. numbers. The average uh, American man today uh, lives to be 76.1 years old. Huh. It's exactly five years more for women, 81.1. So four score for women, three score and 15 for men. What do you think about the, what do you think about the difference? Well, you know, they say that unmarried men uh, have much shorter lives than married men. Because of the suicide bombs that they end up making on themselves. Well, but you know, there, nobody, like my uncle, right? He doesn't, <clears throat> he never learned where the silverware drawer was in his house because he was a member of the, that generation. You're just saying they're hapless. <laughs> yeah, they're hapless. They're That's all right. extreme. They do not have a single hap. Their wives die or divorce them and they just wander off into the desert. And I think the statistic is like slightly opposite for women that single women live a little slightly longer. We are dragging them down with our haplessness. Like, <laughs> yeah. Think how much you would be accomplishing if you weren't constantly telling me where the spatula goes. But I think in men, you know, one of the, one of the things that's maybe least addressed in our culture is the incredible suicide rates of middle-aged men who have arrived at a, at a point in their life where their kids no longer need them and their wives maybe never needed them and their job no longer really needs them. And, and they suddenly have to realize that. They're just like, oh, I have no purpose. And, it, you know, it's right about middle age, 50-year-old 50, 50 There used men. to be an apparatus for that. You'd have, a, you'd have fraternal organizations or your church. You know, right. you'd, all these middle-aged men would be put to work at the exact time they weren't a father and starting to not be even a, an office guy anymore. Yeah. You suddenly have the pancake breakfast to plan. Right. The, right? the VFW hall to go, uh, or, you know, you'd be a scout leader or something. And those things have all been killed by, I don't know what, self-absorption, I assume. Yeah. Well, th we don't do as many group things, right? Culturally. Yeah. yeah so not just self-absorption, but, but yeah. There aren't as many. <laughs> like I, I, I'd rather <laughs> just do nothing today than. There are no 4th of July parades anymore that we need to make, you know, floats on the back of our. Of our snowmobile trailer. It is cool that you still just dress up as Uncle Sam and put on a pair of stilts and walk up and down your neighborhood once a year. But, I do. Um, it's the one time a year that my, my beard doesn't drag in the mud. <laughs> uh, but the oddly, the, these U.S. numbers have gone down now two years in a row. Really? For the first time since uh, the early 60s. And I guess if you want a pretty good symbol of kind of the end of America as empire, that might be it. Um, most of the increase apparently is coming in the category, which is called... I think unintentional injury. Hmm. So not suicide, the suicides you were mentioning, but um, unintentional injury. And, and those have been sharply on the rise. And until recently, the declines in heart disease and cancer uh, would offset those losses. But now, possibly for lifestyle reasons or possibly for maybe just hitting some medical walls, heart disease and cancer numbers are not dropping anymore. And yet unintentional injury is still going up. What is unintentional injury? How many of these guys are actually just falling off the roof of their barn? That's, so that's what you're picturing is somebody falling off a ladder. But sadly, no, unintentional injury also includes drug overdose. Oh. So what you're seeing is 
opioid numbers. Bummer. Yeah. It was funny when it was a guy falling off a barn, and then I, I kind of had to bring down the there's room. There's nothing funnier than a guy falling off a barn. And there's nothing less funny than fentanyl. But uh, so, And there are a few countries that have higher numbers than ours. I think right now maybe the Netherlands is the highest uh, in longest the world. Lived. The longest lived. Do you say lived? Yes. So I've, I, you know, I've come around to saying longest lived. Whoa. But have we talked about this on the omnibus? No, I don't think so. And I, I, and I felt very confident that I was saying it right because, you know, sure. live, live. You, you have that kind of confidence, yes. <laughs> because I am like that 100% of the time. It's, get, <laughs> it's amazing being a white male. <laughs> you get a lot of tweets reinforcing that you are smart. No, 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 no. Social media is for people telling you you're dumb. Like, longest lived seems like something you would say about uh, as part of uh, a component of animal husbandry. Well, it's the same thing, right? If, yeah. if you're talking about how long a potato bug lives and how long your mom's going to live, it's, you know, biologically, it's the same thing. I suppose, unless uh, you... Potato bug's not painting your porch. Unless you d don't believe in, uh, in like, human specialness. The transcendental nature of the soul. <laughs> but not for potato bugs, because you're such a chauvinist. I think the idea, I, you know, when I heard somebody say longest lived, I looked it up and I saw, oh yeah, I guess the argument is that in that sense, lived means having a life, you know, right. to possess a life. And whereas lived would be, you know, a more colloquial usage. But now that I think about it, it's, it's essentially the same thing. I'm a kind of a country homespun fella. Can I'm just a simple. <laughs> just sits here. Simple just, Delaware farmer. Are you running for president, John? I'm just whittling on this little old stick that I found. <laughs> So the numbers are going down, but, you know, it does create a lot of discussion about what the, what the maximum is, you know, what, like why, why we age at all, for example. The gap between men and women, by the way, is interesting because it's taken into account in the general population. For every, for every 100 women that are born, 105 male babies are born, right. which appears to be nature's way of, of saying, yeah, yeah, we know you guys are all dying five years earlier. We need to keep the balance. Well, I always assume that, that uh, those numbers are built around male violence, which takes a whole 20% of young men out of, out of the game at pretty early age. Violence, stupid stunts, war. That is, that is a stupid stunt. War is a, the, one of the stupider stuff. War is just like playing on a railroad track, but like you do it for a whole country, I guess. But boys between the ages of 15 and 35 are, you know, you're going to lose a, a big slot of them to car accidents, drug overdoses, gunfights, and like axe throwing bars. The age gap in life expectancy for men and women um, varies substantially from culture to culture. So we do know that, yeah, it's a lot of social stuff. Um I think in Russia, it's as high as like 10, a 10 or 14 year difference. Sure. <laughs> Hard to speculate on why that would be. I can't imagine. <laughs> Whereas I guess in places like India and Bangladesh, where the things that kill you are more equally distributed, you know, because it's dysentery or whatever. Right. It's, it's, it's more like a, yeah, cobras and dysentery. It's more like a 0.1 year difference. But, Al but still, it's always women longer. In, in, uh, uh there, also, have it has to be, I guess, accounted for that there's a lot of, like, infanticide of female babies in certain parts of the world. Yeah, Le less some so cultures where male babies are prized. Um, I was so I think because I because I think I've seen statistics where the uh, the hundred hundred and what would it be that the, the hundred and five to a hundred. Yeah, that the birth rates are measurably different in certain cultures where lady babies are being um, put into bastics and sent down rivers. People want a son to, to continue the lineage or whatever. 
there seem to be some physiological reasons why, even absent all these social factors like men being dodos. Although, you know, that could, you could say that's a, I mean, that could be a hormonal thing too. You know, yeah. women have estrogen, which actually helps fight heart disease. Men have testosterone, which leads to violence and risk taking. And, uh, and colon cancer. Yes. But there's also things like, you know, uh, but also oh. men are dodos. They're built to die. <laughs> We're disposable. Well, that's actually true. Even at the chromosomal level, like women have two X chromosomes. So when something goes wrong, they have a backup. Right. We just have the one X chromosome and a Y. So like even at the genetic level, um, you know, we're not well equipped. You know, we don't have our, our, our go bag in every cell like they do. Cannon fodder. And I guess there's some thought that actually having a body that needs to go through childbirth and, uh, you know, pregnancy and childbirth and um, breastfeeding, you know, these things are all incredibly hard on somebody. You know, imagine a the Christian Bale type just changing his size and, and weight every year, you know, that, that's what it's like to be a childbearing woman. And so they have to have bodies that are built to be able to metabolically be able to produce a baby, put on all that weight, take it off, you know, feed a baby. So, you so know. not only does Christian Bale know what it's like to be a mother, but <laughs> any mother listening to this program has an idea what it's like to be Christian Bale. I, that's what I talk to women about, you know, yeah. that's a, that's a good conversation yeah. starter. Hey, you know what, <laughs> you know, who knows what it's like to be you? Christian Bale. <laughs> As a, I'm a sensitive woke ally and I would like you to know, I would like to know from you what it's like to be Christian Bale. But these, the limits on, you know, the, Batman. the things that make people age, that's still a mystery, you know, uh, like we don't fully understand. Well, sorry to interrupt, Ken. It's a mystery because no one has asked you. <laughs> but uh, uh, when I was dating my software lawyer uh, girlfriend, couple of years ago, she and all of her software lawyer friends were all taking the special, um, opossum uh, placenta Elysium pill, the Elysium pill. You were in a science fiction movie the whole time you were dating this woman. <laughs> it sure felt like it. Uh, the Elysium pill, which neutralizes free radicals and only costs $99 a day. That's the um, new theory. Oxidative stress. Yes. The, the oxygen in your molecule in your molecules is bonding to the wrong stuff and oxidants are building up. So there's this pill that has been endorsed by 40 um, Nobel laureates, 38 of whom were just approached by somebody who was like, we'll give you $100,000 to endorse our product. They're all, they're all just like... <laughs> Ten-year-old Bangladeshi children that won the Peace Prize and, and, and needed the money. <laughs> no, they all have Nobel Prizes in economics, <laughs> right. the, the uh, least of the Nobels. But no, that I, I like how every entry is you just ripping on the Nobel Prize in economics. <laughs> you guys know it. it's not a real Nobel, right? <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> uh, it's like the equivalent of some, uh, you know, middle-aged dad who's super <laughs> mad at the Baseball Hall of Fame for something. <laughs> I swear I walk around the house cursing the Nobel Prize for economics all the time. It's not a real Nobel Prize. If you are an economist and listening to this show and would like to. <laughs> I can't even. <clears throat> I don't want to get your emails, frankly. Keep your pseudoscience to yourself. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. 
Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout no the uh lysium pill which i got i got i was indoctrinated into their cult and, and I went so far as to find out what the active ingredient in the Elysium pill was and started to source it independently of this like company that packages it in a fancy white jar. And now I get it like... You make it out of pomegranates I yourself get, in I your get, house? I get the bargain basement brand and I take it every day. N-A-D plus. NAD plus? NAD plus. Is it good for your NADs? I think. What's it doing to your nest? <laughs> well, you know, all the rich people, right? Like who's the, who's the ding dong software guy that's trying to like, that gets transfusions of virgin blood. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh no, I, I don't. Um, he is Peter Thiel. Oh really? <laughs> that does not surprise me at all. Peter Thiel, um, actually gets blood transfusions. And because he's a libertarian, he probably just murders the virgins himself. Or, you know, he goes into someplace and he's like, the the offer now, you know, the, the daily rate for your blood is is four dollars a pint. Line up, free willers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's trying to avert aging by giving himself a version of of this placental blood that you're talking about, just by by getting the transfusions. Won't it be great for society when certain people can afford to live forever and certain ones can't? Well, that's the thing. It'll be all the right people, I bet. So NAD plus is called nicotinamide adenide dinucleotide. And it's some kind of enzyme that's in all of our cells, but it gets turned off or, you know, like it gets bombarded and it helps in the healthy duplication of cells. And if you take this special stuff, NAD plus. This is a very popular theory right now. That <clears throat> it will that, bounce that, all the bad That if you can rays. control the free radicals in your body, then you can yeah. just essentially live forever. But there's no actual medical consensus. For a long time, it was uh, uh, telomere shortening. We were all obsessed with the fact that all our chromosomes have these little kind of junk strands at the end called the telomeres. And as the, the more time a cell reproduced, the shorter and shorter those got. The problem is it's not clear whether that's a cause of eventually cells aging and not being able to reproduce as, as delightfully as they used to, or whether that's just an implication of aging. You know, that's a, a consequence of it. Yeah. In my research, I have found the same thing, uh, very inconclusive results as, you know, whether or not this uh, medicine that I'm taking is doing anything. But, you know, that's true of so much. <laughs> the results are so inconclusive. You, you really, if you believe it's working, that's what's important. So you really shouldn't follow any, if you're ever taking any kind of dodgy thing, don't look it up for the love of God. You there, know, there's the so, more information you get, you'll just mess up the placebo effect. There's so many people who want me to meditate and I keep feeling like, isn't that just the same as taking NAD plus? <laughs> 
<laughs> but it turns out, no, meditating really works. Well, you could save a lot of money. It's free, unlike the NID Plus, unless you do TM and you have to pay some guy $15,000 for your mantra. Is it free, though? I actually, I feel like, you know, the cost of meditating, it's a... What, it's like, an opportunity cost. What, like the mat? I could be, no. I mean, I could be like watching TV or whatever. I mean, there is a cost to it. Maybe it makes money then. You know, you can cancel one of your streaming video subscriptions if you meditate more. Uh, we don't know why we age. And it's funny because it's not, you know, it's really been, our whole civilization is shaped around the idea that we will all die in somewhat under a century. That's, right. that's every, all our expectations, all our assumptions, how all of our institutions work. And that's not a built-in limit to the world, like, uh, you know, the speed of light or anything. It's, uh, and it's something that really we've only been studying seriously for a few decades, you know, why aging is, and could there be a way around it? Could we rewrite the book on this? What was the average age uh, of a combat soldier in Vietnam? Mm, 19. Very young. No, uh, that's, that was a, a 1980s pop reference. Why do I not know the song? What is well, the song? I guess you're a little young. What's the song? <laughs> do I have to look it up? No, no, no. Let's let let's bounce off of off of that joke that only I and other other old uh, uh, new wavers got, and go to what it, what what how you you mentioned that the average uh, like lifespan has been increasing for decades. What was it even a short time ago? What was it for most of human history? So, you know, records are always a problem here, as we will see in the story of, should we ever get to her? Jean Calment. <laughs> <laughs> but, Shall we ever get to you, Jean Calment? But the interesting thing is that in the 20th century, uh, you know, today the world average um, lifespan is upwards of 70. Really? That's, that's, what Globally. A, that's what a great job we have done with extreme poverty. We, I don't know. I haven't done anything. That's uh, what a great job has been done with extreme poverty in the developing world. You may be the butterfly that flaps its wings, Ken. Who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe that uh, 10 bucks I gave to the, the, the right global health nonprofit last no, it, week is the one. It, it was all the trick-or-treating you did for UNICEF. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's now over 70 worldwide. Wow, um, that's phenomenal. And it's, you know, and it's in the U.S., it's, it's around 80 for, for women. So, you know, there, few countries have these awful 40 and 50 year life expectancies anymore. But in the 20th century, that was not true. In, in, the, in 1950, the world average was under 50. Whoa. As recently as 1950, people were dying worldwide at the age of 48, which means for every Western country that was kind of where they are now, you know, a lot more cancer, a lot more heart disease, but, but people still living to be 65, 70. Right. There were countries where, you know, it was, there was so much infant mortality that when you average it out. Right. I mean, the, the thing is, the big bump was infant mortality. So once you survived infancy back then, you know, in, in Elizabethan England, you could still count on having kind of a modern lifespan of 60 or 70 or so, according to the odds. You just, just had to make it past the age right. of four. A lot, the bottleneck is, is when you're in a crib. Uh, in 1900, world uh, life expectancy was 30. What? And so the, you know, the 20th century is really what did it. So, I mean, you can see what it was. It was immunizations and, 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 uh, you know, antiseptics and right. it was all these kind of easy antibiotics. Yeah. It was all these easy medical innovations. Meaning that if in 1900, the life expectancy worldwide was 30 years old, does that reflect? It means for every person who died at 80, there was somebody else dying at negative 20. <laughs> 
It's crazy. <laughs> Where's my... They were, they were traveling oh, back in time to their parents' uh, courtship and but, going to the school dance and then disappearing while playing the guitar. I always wonder, though, statistics like that that, that are post-industrial revolution, it, do they reflect what things were like for millennia prior or did industrial revolution create conditions that, yeah. that reduced what had been a sort of idyllic state of being prior to that? I mean, we know that probably in the pastoral past, people weren't living to be 120. Babies died all the time. Sure. There were saber toothed tigers or whatever. But like 1900 is such a tantalizing year to feel like it was the end of a thing when it was really kind of the middle beginning of a thing. It seems like, you know, the environment, the industrial revolution would have made a lot of things worse. You know, people were working, working longer hours, breathing worse air. Although maybe they were in super good shape from all those, you know, cotton mills they were turning or whatever. Um, but that also 1900 would have been after the recognition that plague was carried by rats, that dysentery or uh, what's the <clears throat> cholera cholera came from water, you know, like there, right. there would have epidemiology had started. Right. So it, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, That's I don't, the fruit, right? I'm not even sure that there, that we would have the ability to answer it. Like you're saying, record keeping maybe isn't enough to solve the question, but it does, it does seem like most of the things that would kill a historical person would have just kept going back and back. I mean, Right. I mean, cities didn't invent cholera, right? I mean, you're... It, it, they just concentrated Yeah, it. they just concentrated Everybody it. getting their water from the same foul. Right. Well. But, you know, a, a small hunter-gatherer village could have some yo-yo befouling the water supply, too. Yeah. Here, here. I mean, all it takes is <laughs> dumb Kevin pooping in the pond. Well, and yeah, especially if you... <laughs> Oh, dumb Kevin. Dumb Kevin, you historical actor. I hate that guy. <laughs> you have done so much wrong. L lowering his jute underwear and, and befouling oh, the, the village uh, fountain. I hate dumb Kevin. He's like uh, he's like the guy from Family Circus. He's he's like Jeffy. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant like not me oh, or whatever. Oh, not me. He's like not me. He's a little dotted guy going around the village, <laughs> oh. followed by a dotted line making oh, trouble. Poor dumb Kevin. So we've gotten to a point where... We feel like we might be kind of asymptotically approaching how long people can live with the current assumptions. Well, not according to Peter Thiel. <laughs> Unless. I found a quote from him. He said, I stand against confiscatory taxes, which is a nice, that's a nice word. I assume he would, confiscatory. He would take that to mean confiscatory. All, all taxes, right? <laughs> right. Uh, confiscatory taxes, let's say. Totalitarian collectives. He's also against those. Read socialism. Mm -hmm. And. The ideology of the inevitability of the death of every individual. He believes that that is an ideology. He, he only objects to the idea that everyone might die. That's He's very right. open to the idea that most people might die, but a small select uh, enlightened group will manage to, uh, to escape that fate. That's right. Plenty of people can and should die. That's just unconscious knowledge. But it is an ideology that death is inevitable. This is way off the point, but it does seem like the way religion has developed has been a reaction to this idea that we're all going to die. And that's horrifying. So we need to have some kind of hope that that's not true and that some kind of life does continue. Right. That death is a temporary scenario. Um, but I'm sure Peter Thiel is He's on. He's, he's some he's, kind of atheist. So. He's, he's on a different take altogether. <laughs> he wants to. He wants some combination of uh, soylent and kombucha, 
to propel him into space. There are a small number of people who live longer than 80 years, of course. Uh, you have uh, currently about a 1 in 1.5 in 100 chance of being a centenarian. What? Living to your 100th birthday. 1 out of how many? W- one and a half. Okay, the exact number is 1.4 out of every 100 people. Will live to be a hundred. You have a one point four percent chance. You're I mean, kidding. I had I mean, no idea. Not Was you, that... John. You've been you've been awful to your body. But... I would have. I would have. I really have. I would have expected. I'm hoping technology will come in and 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 fix some of the things that are wrong with me before I die. But I I would have thought it was much rarer to get to be a hundred years old. Really? Yeah. I, I I always assumed that like eighty seven is about where most people max out, and by most people, I mean like. That you would have a one in 5,000 chance of being 100 years old. It's not that weird to live to be 100 today. Hmm, interesting. I mean, so in, in any group of uh, 100 people, you know. One and one or, two, one or two are uh, are going to be 100. So you can think of any, you know, the the there's probably been about 100 people. No, there's been a few hundred people on the cast of Saturday Night Live since 1976. So there's, you know, three or four of those people are going to live to be 100. Huh. Which ones do you want? Oh, it'll, uh, Martin Short. Do you think he'll be 100? <laughs> and what about uh, Janine Garofalo? Yes. Or, or Jean Garofalo, <laughs> Jean Garofalo. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be the women, of course. I don't know what I was thinking. Right, it, it'll right. be the women. Well, I don't know. Martin Short. I, I mean, sadly, like some of the best are no longer with us. Gilda Radner and Jan Hooks, for example. It'll probably be the awful ones. It'll be Victoria Jackson. It looks to be 110. <laughs> Um, but, I always liked her comedy. I'm so sorry her politics are... Wait, she did comedy? So <laughs> <laughs> I guess Not doing, her stand-up, but I liked her on the show. Like doing I thought, the splits on, on Dennis Miller's desk. That's, that's not unlike comedy. People laughed, I guess. I wasn't really watching the show that much then, but I, I remember laughing at Victoria Jack. Um, and of course, so do they still do the thing, by the way, where if you turn 100, the weatherman on the Today Show says your name? I don't know, but if it's one in every 100 people, probably not. It would take up the Think whole how, show. Yeah, the whole show would just be Al Roker being like... Like, and so this, Elaine Marlingale of Ann Arbor, Michigan. In 1990, birthday. let's say, how what were your chances of living to be a hundred? I don't. It's 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 been pretty flat. Like it it hasn't changed that much in in the last 20 years or so. Interesting. I mean, slightly less. It was probably under one in a hundred then, um, or or just just over one. Whereas now it's fully 14 people out of every thousand. And then we introduced the concept of quality of life. <laughs> quality of life past the age of a hundred is now going to be, I mean, maybe one in a hundred people, but how many of those people are mobile, independent, healthy, active? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of study of this now, now that there is a science of aging, you know, gerontologists are obsessed with these super old people and, you know, lay, the lay public is as well, because there's a ton of print journalism. We love these articles where um, for one thing, it's a never-ending parade of them. Like the oldest person in the world just keeps dying. It's the worst job. Ugh. Like every every few months, it'll be like, oh, what's her name from South Carolina is now dead. The oldest person is now this woman in Japan or Yorkshire. Or um, And the stories are always the same. It's always about how they have some awful habit. You know, they, Right, uh, they all smoke cigarettes. Or... They, yeah, or um, you know, they, they eat a banana split every Friday night. Or There's hope for me, yeah. They, they bathe in cold water only or... Yeah, you know, and, and we know that's not the secret, but we love these stories, or we did in the age of print journalism. I don't know if sure. that's a thing anymore. Shot of whiskey, a cigar, corn cob pipe, a little devil worship. That's what kept me alive <laughs> until the age of one hundred twenty. I'd like to shout out to the man upstairs, <laughs> Satan himself, for making all this possible. Uh, so we know, and so there's been a lot of study of these people who who are super long 
lived on your side of the table, lived over here. Right. The, the technical term for people who have lived longer than 110, by the way, are super centenarians. Super centenarians. Which, you know, makes it sound like they have a superpower, which they do. Sounds like a breakfast cereal. Not dying. <laughs> it's part of this balanced breakfast. If you are a centenarian, if you are the 1.4 out of 100 who have lived to be 100 years old, how many of those do you think go on to be super centenarians? Oh, I bet it starts getting precipitous right yes, about there. It, it falls off. It's one in a thousand centenarians. Gets to be a, gets super, to be a centenarian. super centenarian. So that 10 years is a killing field. Yes, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just body parts and walkers all over. You do not want to get into that death zone. <laughs> But what's interesting about when you study people in that zone is uh, the people who do live that long actually have managed to stave off most of the, the debilitating effects of old age until extreme old age. Um, Can you imagine getting all the way to 105 and then dying without getting to 110? From, a, from a guy dropping a can of paint off a ladder <laughs> What a <or> disappointment. <laughs> Well, again, that's the birthday effect, you know, like yeah. I'm sure it's a lot of people on, on their 110th birthday plus one day. So, so for whatever reason, these people have managed to not get most of the awful effects of aging, you know, the, the cold that turns into a pneumonia or bronchitis every winter right? or the, the, the arteries or the, you know, the cancers, they just somehow don't get any of that when we do through your 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s. Like until the the very end of their life, they have somehow been free from all of that. So these, you know, and they're not they're not running marathons in their seventies. They're elderly people, but they essentially get what like some of them fifty years, fifty or sixty years of being a healthy elderly person. Wow! They get really good at it. It becomes the new steady state of their life. <laughs> they're an old person longer than they were a young person. Well, they should be careful when they go to cocktail parties to not eat. The Salmon Moose. <laughs> Is that another 80s New Wave song? I'm afraid so. <laughs> not a New Wave. It's not, well, I love that squeeze mind. song about <laughs> the salmon about Fatal Salmon Moose. moose. I think you could, it's okay if you explain that reference. Uh, that? I'm afraid that is a Monty Python reference. Oh, okay. When, uh, when death comes to the cocktail party. I know this. And they're sketch. like, what the heck? Why are we dead? And he points his bony finger at the Salmon Moose. <laughs> I'm not a nerd. I'm a no, I'm a cool dude. I'm a who just happens to know I'm that a, one Monty Python sketch, but it, no other. I was at a rock party and everybody was drugged and having sex, and it happened to be on the TV, and I happened to watch that little bit of it. Is this like that story where? Do you know the story where Prince wants Questlove to come DJ a party after a root show, and Questlove shows up, and Prince keeps telling him to turn it down so he can watch Finding Nemo? <laughs> you should look up the story. <laughs> I was at the cool party and yeah. for some reason Finding Nemo was on. Anyway, so at long last, I want this episode to be as long as, as life is for mm -hmm. someone like Jean Calment. Mm -hmm. uh, that brings us to Jean Calment, who was born on February 21st, 1875 in, in Provence, the, the, the town of Arles in France, and who died in that same town uh, on August 4th of 1997. So she was so old that she hung out with uh, Vincent Van Gogh when he came to Arles and had his artistic breakthrough there and painted sunflowers and hung out with Gauguin and cut off his ear. She was living down the street uh, going through puberty and her teenage years. And she lived long enough that um, in her old age, she recorded a rap album 
Sure. As, as you do. In, sure. In your, in your 120s. I mean, it should be noted that in 1875, the U.S. president was Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> that is correct. She did not know him. No. But it was the same year that Bizet uh, wrote Carmen, that yeah. Tolstoy wrote Anna Karenina. She's older than the telephone. <laughs> and she survives to, uh, to record Maîtresse um, du Temps, um, Time's Mistress, which is, you know, it's kind of a hip hop funk album, but really it's kind of her telling her stories about being elderly over a really fresh oh, uh, hip hop beat. I want to, I want to download this track immediately. Yeah, please. Futurelings, begin pirating this right now. Uh, she uh, was um, incredibly healthy her whole life. She she lived a life of ease, if you want a kind of a Peter Thiel take on this. her. Uh, I mean, she never had to travel anywhere outside of Arles. She so. apparently never left the south of France, which <laughs> is quite kind, nice. Kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, she married her cousin, That maybe that's the secret. Uh, who was kind of a prosperous local grocer. And uh, as a result of just being one of the ladies who lunch of turn of the century Arles, she could just bike and swim and play tennis and roller skating. She could, she stayed fit, yeah, obviously. Live it up. And that was what she did like well into her, you know, 70s or 80s or, or 90s. She had a very active life. Well, and I feel like there's a lot to be said for like an active social life, a well, like being part of a community. Uh, that 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 probably adds a lot to longevity because I think a lot of people die. I'm not I'm not even being slightly facetious when I say a lot of people die of loneliness. That is true. She was never rootless. Um, Arles was a fairly small place. I don't know population somewhere between probably fifteen and thirty thousand people during most of her life, and she was well known and liked, especially as she started to get up there in age. She started fencing when she was eighty five, and she didn't stop biking until she was a hundred. Hmm. Um, so again, one of these people who was able to stave off most of the effects of age. Um, I know you like the story about, uh, she lived in kind of a beautiful turn of the century apartment building, which she sold at age 90 to a, a local business owner who had- To her at, lawyer, right? Yeah. yeah. She looked at the actuar, he looked, looked at the actuarial tables and figured out exactly how long his 90 year old client was likely to live. He really wanted this building and said he would buy it from her for a very nice- she could kind of live off the interest from that. And also she could keep living in the apartment rent-free until she died. And he was going to pay her a 2,500 franc annuity uh, every month. Oh, and that's the, that's the one that is the killer. By the time he died at age 77, his family was still paying her because she was 121 and still going. Um, he, this seemed it, like such a good idea to him at the time. They ended up paying her almost a million francs. Um, from the time she was 90 to the time she died at age 122, which was like three times the value of the house. So never bet on the leather tough old lady <laughs> dying and, and making your, your fortune that way. Oh my God. Can you imagine? As she got older, of course, the press began to become fascinated by her and she was a delightful interview. So I remember this. I, I, I was also fascinated by her and I did find her delightful. She would, uh, I mean, for one thing, there's, there's always the, you know, the cigar a day kind of stuff she had. In her case, it was, um, I think she had like two pounds of chocolate a week <laughs> until her doctor told her to give up sweets at the age of 119. Can you imagine the gall of telling a 119 year old woman that she's doing it wrong? Yeah. You better get up. You better give up sweets, honey. <laughs> that was the same year she gave up smoking. But in that case, it was just because she was too blind to light up herself. 
she, she didn't decide to abstain. She could just no longer light her own cigarettes at age 119. You know, what's funny about Arl is I think of it, I've been there and I think of it as like a swampy place. Like it's not exactly right on the coast. It's kind of like, it's kind of a little bit swampy. I've just seen the Van Gogh paintings. There seem to be um, a lot of swamp lot in of, those. No, there's wheat fields and uh, elaborate bridges. Well, those are if you if you head up to Avignon, but if you go down the other way, it's, yeah, it's like uh, the Rhone River. Is that the mouth of the Rhone there? Sort of, and it's like the mouth of any big river. It's kind of got a big delta. Swampy, swampy delta. Well, it's funny how a lot of, uh, isn't your picture of like long live, the longest lived American person, isn't it somebody from some swampy delta? You're like, right. Isn't yeah, it like a blind black lady who's like. Alabama, Louisiana. Cackling about how she still has a, a you know, a, a glass of Maybe scotch after Maybe the secret dinner. is swamps. <laughs> There's That's something what, about the swamps. Check it out. Yoda, 900 years old, lives, in, lives in a swamp. There it is. We've nailed it down. If only we all lived in. Swamps. I'm going to stop eating these Elysium pills and start drinking swamp water. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So in her 110s and even into her 120s, Jean was, um, you know, lively and funny and super mentally alert. And she really seemed to enjoy being a celebrity. Um, you know, people would ask her about her wrinkles and she would say, I've only ever had one wrinkle and it's the one I sit down on. She, oh, would, she would do butt jokes. Ribald. <laughs> it's quite, <laughs> quite ribald. She, uh, at, at her 110th birthday, at her 120th birthday party, she said, I've waited 110 years to be famous, which I guess implies that from zero to 10 years old, she had no expectations. But from then on, she was waiting to be famous. Right. I've waited 110 years to be famous. I count on taking advantage of it. And somebody asked what kind of future she expected, and she said, a very short one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the town, as you say, just loved her and, uh, you know, supported her and, and gathered around her. And so every year on her birthday, every February 21st, it was essentially a, a school holiday in Arles where everybody would celebrate that Jean Calment, the one constant of life there, was still with us. Well, it's a real endorsement of the town. Right, I mean, if you're if you're the mayor of Arles, what better thing can you say about the place than that the world's oldest woman lives there? I wonder if they directed tourists to her house, or if it was like um, the people who wouldn't, uh, the people in Alabama who wouldn't say where Harper Lee lived. Like, would, would they cover for her, or did they no, know she liked the attention? I'm sure there was. I'm sure people were caroling outside of her window every day for singing Frere Jacques. <laughs> she would. People would. Which have, is, I mean, isn't that from right around? Oh no, no, it's. Um, Sur la pont d'Avignon, on est danse, on est danse. That's from right, that, that, that bridge from is that, from right there. Yeah. 
uh, describing her old age, she would tell her joke would be she would say, "I wait for death and journalists." Because she was getting interviewed so much. Lol. What a, what a sweetheart little troll she was. <laughs> One year at the party. And the pictures of her are delightful because she really is just this old withered apple of a woman. Uh, at, one, at one of her parties, somebody said, uh, until next year, perhaps. And she said, perhaps. I don't see why not. You don't look so bad to me. <laughs> so she was just a, a, you know, a kind of a Yogi Berra-like uh, fountain sure. of, of, uh, of wisdom. She was at it eight days a week. And she finally died. And when she, when she died at the age of 122, she was an extreme statistical outlier, not just by, not just by the standards of regular people or centenarians, but even of super centenarians. I think the, the next longest case was 119. She was more than two years older than the next longest lived person? And not just at the time, but who has ever lived since then. Like, uh, like n nobody has come closer than 119, which has been attested. I mean, it's, it's tricky because again, we don't have records for all these people, but her life was incredibly well-documented. There were, you know, 14 separate census records and she was in a small town where everybody knew her. So there was really no problem with people saying, yes, uh, of all that, there's no way that even though she's three years older than the second place finisher, which seems impossible in a field where the top is super crowded, you know, then it's like. 119 in six months, 119 in five months, three at 109, you know, I, I'm, it's not that tight, but it's very tight at the top. And yet for whatever reason that, you know, the, the olive oil she put on her skin or the glass of port wine she had after dinner every night or whatever, the, the glowing meteorite maybe that she had found as a young girl, uh -huh. she was three, she was just off the curve entirely. She was three years above the record. Wow. Um, well, she was diminutive. Yes. Do you, yeah. do you think that helps? I do. I mean, I think if you are smaller, your everything just has to work slightly less hard. It can be, you know, your heart is smaller and more efficient. And it is a sad thing about like giraffes and Andre the Giant, and you know that. And me. <laughs> no, 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 no. You'll be with us for a long time to come, John. Uh, one thing that I think people say has started to work in rodents and primates is extreme calorie restriction. Yeah. You give people 20 to, you, you cut people's diet by 20 to 50% of their normal caloric intake, not enough to cause malnutrition, but enough to, you know, make the body kind of go into shock and work much more efficiently. And but it sounds like she just lived, uh, she lived it up. It pretty voluptuously, right? It's just, she was not trying that. Whatever the secret was, it appeared to have died with her, but there was an interesting wrinkle in the story, not the one on her ass, but like a... Like a different wrinkle in the story appeared at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. Um, did you see the new news cycle about John Calmont, despite the fact that she's been dead for 22 years? No. So this is kind of breaking news in our time, futurelings. Uh, a bunch of uh, news outlets around the world started printing that she was a fraud. What? That at the age of 50-something, uh, she had been replaced by her daughter, her, the, the lone daughter from her marriage, who had replaced her mom uh, for inheritance tax reasons and had lived as her, you know, her mom later died at the age of uh, 99 or say, a mere 99 years old. The daughter lived on for another 23 years impersonating Jean Calmont. And the, the news media pointed to some evidence for this, such as the fact that uh, their heights don't match up. Uh, there's some documents showing eye color being different than what you would think and so forth. Um, Who is doing this investigative research t t 15 years after the fact? Well, that's where the plot thickens. Uh, it brings us to one Nikolai Zak, a glass blower from Moscow. I already don't like him. <laughs> You're already suspicious. <laughs> 
Now, is it who do you, who do you hate here? Glass blowers or Russians? The thing about the thing about Moscow glass blowers is they always figure in international trails of gerontological intrigue. So we know all the stereotypes about Moscow yeah, glass blowers. That doesn't mean we have to perpetuate this these goes awful. Back to Shakespeare. We don't have to perpetuate these awful troops. I mean, if you if you if you poke them with a glass blowing stick, do they not bleed? Mm. Uh, he was not a gerontologist or a geriatrician. Oh. In fact, he is not a scientist of any kind. Uh-huh. Unless you, I, the, the, the sweet science of glass blowing. This is, this is not helping me like him. I only like scientists. He's an amateur mathematician oh, uh, who recently got interested in the cases of very old people, and oh. and was talking to a uh, maybe for I don't know elder abuse. I don't know. Maybe he was calling them up trying to get their credit card numbers. No, now now I'm I'm beginning to have a little sympathy. He sounds like a uh, he sounds like a nerd. Yeah, which he's is, a, he's a dilettante, which he's is a, appealing. He's a dabbler. And he was in touch with another, with a real kind of Russian gerontologist named Leonid Gavrilov, who has long been skeptical of the statistical fluke that is Jean Calmont, and said to Nikolai Zak, hey, if you're interested in this as a hobby, you should look into something like Jean Calmont. That's always been a weird case, and I can never get to the bottom of it. So he writes a paper repeating these kind of insinuations that have, they have made the rounds before, that what if it wasn't her? What if it was her daughter? That would explain why she's a full generation older than anyone has a right to be. And I like this idea, by the way, that you can impersonate your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm my own grandpa. <laughs> it's, it's what happens a lot in uh, like fantasy and science fiction novels about immortal people. Right. Like they always have to, you can't just be immortal and live in a place. No, you have to keep people like people will notice the Highlander. You have to keep, uh, to keep dab- yeah. The Highlander has to keep dabbing his temples with with gray and and somehow like willing his estate to himself through a through some some long lost son has to appear yeah. and being like, oh, I am n- not my dad. I'll live here now, uh, and everyone will be like, it's amazing how much you look like your father. Remarkable, right. remarkable. Uh, but in this case, Nikolai Zak is insinuating that Jean Calment's daughter did. Just that. So these uh, stories just got written all over the world, and people were delighted by the idea that Jean Calment might be a fraud. But you would think that the lawyer, who was the one who stood to lose the most, would also have been the most vigilant. He's a townsperson who's known her for a long time. Probably would have like been I don't know would have had would have had reason enough to investigate any claim. Well, think about the whole town. Right. I mean, uh, in the early 1900s, the population of Arles was 30,000 people. Like, if that, if there actually was some kind of a con going on or a hoax, was everybody just in on it and pretending not to notice when suddenly this woman got 30 years younger and looked like her daughter and her daughter disappeared? I mean, yeah. how is this supposed to have worked? Yeah, I mean, that's half the number of people that attend a Seattle Sounders game. <laughs> so... Uh, the Washington Post looked into how this happened. Nikolai Zak w- wrote up his article and could not get any journal to actually print this, mostly because he didn't have any proof. It was essentially it was essentially a conspiracy theory. Right. Like, look at all these little things that don't make sense about the Kennedy assassination or Jean Calment's eye color. Uh, so eventually he had to self-publish it himself. But then there appears to have been a concerted effort to get this story to catch on. Hmm. Uh, the Wikipedia page for Jean Calment mysteriously grew a you know fraud accusation section, which had been written for the from a written by a user who also um, has tweaked pages related to 
Russian current affairs and the U.S. political situation, including the ongoing investigation of Russian ties to our current presidential administration. It's Vladimir Putin again. <laughs> Why does he care who how old Jean Clermont is? Clermont. That's the interesting question. If there is a Russian conspiracy, why? And yet there's a weird pattern of stuff going on from the Russian bot internet. There's a website called the 110 Club about super centenarians. And like suddenly there was a flurry of new baby accounts popping up just to discredit uh, Jean Calmont. Uh, and they are so inscrutable, these Russian bots. These, these Slavic bots. <laughs> and the weirdest thing that happened is that two renowned French uh, gerontologists were replaced um, by their own children. <laughs> you know, died of strontium poisoning. <laughs> uh, no, they got a kind of a cryptic message in broken English um, from a Russian doctor that said, colleagues, take action. Take evidence for verification. Otherwise, there will be many people who will want to participate in the show. And went on to say, do not write about the war, kind of veiled threats. Do not write about the war between Russia and the West. Concerning the behavior of one of the participants of the show, I'm not doing this in my funny Russian accent. You sorry. should be doing it in the <laughs> Russian accent to make it more funny. And, and drop the indefinite article. Them squirrel. Complaints was written to NIA. <laughs> NIA is some kind of National Institute of Aging that investigates these claims. Hmm. Last week, I wrote a request to SKRF, which is the Russian investigative, it's like the Russian FBI, basically. Next week, there will be appeal to FBI. Ugh. So this guy's making threats to law enforcement if... Um, but he is talking only to these other scientists and not to FBI directly. So the question becomes, why is there some Russian plan afoot to discredit poor Jean Calment? You know, there are, the, the Russian bots are on 4chan all day trying to convince the, the anonymous kids that their penises are too small. Maybe this is just part of a like an incredible, a pl incredible plot to destabilize the West. So what's your what's your hypothesis? They just have a lot of free time, and so this is like <clears throat> if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like I, I, once you've got dis coordinated disinformation campaigns, you just do that all day on whatever you're surfing online. I mean, it appears that they do not care what the results are. That all they want is to make the West confused, to doubt authority. To no. question the truth of things. So it's easy to see why um, it would be in their interest to have a videotape of, say, a super powerful U.S. public official asking Russian prostitutes to pee on him. You, right. know, you can see how that would destabilize the West. Right. But but questioning but the, thing the is old age records of a French woman who had been dead for, for uh, what, 20 Three years? What's amazing about this campaign is that, like everything on the internet, it costs them nothing or yeah. relatively nothing. Right. So the idea that this would be such a small, insignificant little corner of the world to try and stir things up. Because, sure, they could have been 200 other things they were doing that day as well. And this is just the one that the Post noticed. The one that just seems like, huh? But yeah, I mean, if they're, if they're calling and saying like, oh, all dachshunds are bad dogs and they're, and they're making a big fuss about it. What is the point? I mean, the point is just to make people trust, well, like lose trust in our, our heartwarming stories. Right? And their institutions like the Guinness Book of World Records, right? right? <laughs> and just feel like, oh, well, if, the, if that old lady was faking, then everything's fake. When the Post interviewed Nikolai Zak, he actually did explicitly make this point. He's like, yeah, other researchers don't want you to know this because it's all going to be a house of cards. If, if, if uh, Jean Calment was the gold standard, and I'm right, 
then this whole industry is just fake. And so you the know, whole industry of old people. It's like these climate change deniers who are like, of course, these climate scientists are telling you this because it's to prop up their own house of cards. Right. Yeah. So they they don't want you to believe big, big super centenarian here. I mean, the genius of the Russian uh, bot industry is that it's an anti-globalist idea, right? They're not, they don't imagine that we're all living together and, and trying to improve the world collectively. It's a zero sum game. Yeah. It's like, if we descend into like revolution and fire, Russia only benefits and they don't care how. It's like a diabolical, short-sighted and kind of monomaniacal idea of the world and of history. Some of the gerontologists in the quoted in the post do offer theories as to why the Russians might have picked this particular story. I'm um, dying to hear them. <laughs> for, for one, there have long been um, impossible to verify legends in kind of Slavic culture of very long-lived people from that part of the world that have not been able to be verified. For example, oh. there's like part of Abkhazia where everyone says that people routinely live to be 160 years old. Uh-huh. But, you know, a big gerontology has not been able to verify any of this with christening records or whatever. Because when they die, they're carried off by giants. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I think they're put on a high mountain and, and giant condors come down and, and, <laughs> right. ca- and carry them off. It's sky burial. <laughs> so it's impossible to verify. So there is, this, there is this idea that, you know, we have the real old people and the West is not accepting us. And then you have the problem that Russian life expectancy is really not kicking too much butt. Right. Um, so that when they, so that, you know, these uh, gerontological organizations and institutions that do study and verify this stuff, they have representatives from all, you know, all the relevant places. It's from the U.S. and it's from France and Scandinavia and Japan and the Low Countries and the U.K. You know, it's all these places um, that have good science on this. And Russia is always excluded because their science is not great. Right. So, so, Take that. There may be some sense that, you know, what if we disrupt supercentenarians with this kind of phony conspiracy theory? And the media really bought into it. Like, Oh, of course. I don't know if you've ever seen this work with any other coordinated Russian campaign, but the media <laughs> ate this up. Of course. And there were all, because it was irresistible. You know, what if this, what if this woman that everybody loved was a fraud? It was all a fraud. The but, earth is flat. It's essentially the earth is flat kind of stuff. You know, when they interview Zach, you know, he, he just says, you know, here are a few things that don't, you know, what if the flag on the, why is the flag on the moon not uh, dangling or whatever, you yeah. know, he's you got, can see the shadow. He's got his few data points that he thinks uh, do not make sense. And he doesn't come off as super articulate in the post interview. Scientists are not like researchers, but like, I don't know, but like dishonest people. Yeah. Moose and squirrel, bad. <laughs> you said yeah instead of da. 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 Is, my accent is not always so good. It's fake. So I still believe in Jean Calmont. I do too. Uh, I am not going to be dissuaded by this. I'm not either. Bot disinformation campaign. I'm not either. And I don't think the world is flat. And I think that the average size penis is fine. And that concludes Jean Calment, entry 176.2C0416, certificate number 43762, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, 
because as we are continually documenting, it is a pox and should be wiped off the face of the earth by our totalitarian collectivism. It's even... Bathed atta- in virgin blood. It's attacking our most uh, above reproach old people now. That's, Can you imagine? Like after, after years of just duping our worst old people here in America, now it's going after the nice old people of southern France. The chocolate-eating old people of Arles, France are not immune. There's absolutely no reason we are still getting news from the internet. I just spent a week on a cruise, and I didn't look at the internet the entire time. What, was, what was that like? When I came back, it was awful to turn on my phone and see the world again. And not because the world was awful and I was in some blissful bubble where I, uh, I was ignoring the truth of the world. It was just that when I came back online, it was, it was all garbage, it was like garbage news. Have you seen the new research that links uh, the rise of personal devices and social media almost exactly with the increase in teen depression and anxiety? <laughs> What a, what a shock. Middle-aged depression anxiety, too. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like the number of things that came onto my phone, because it was one of those weird things where you arrive in port, you turn on your phone, and you get an entire week's worth of text of, from me. Of John? text from Hey, Ken. John. Hey, hey, John. Hey, I thought we were, weren't you supposed to call me? Are we recording today? I called you from Puerto Rico. I talked to you on the phone on the, in the streets of Puerto Rico. That was really you? I didn't do that with everybody. I was like, Ken, 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 quick, measure your penis. <laughs> But yeah, you turn on your phone and it's just like, oh, an entire week's worth of news, an entire week's worth of people trying to reach me, and none of it makes me feel better. All of it just erodes, you know, erodes what had been a kind of like state of, I don't know, I'm not going to say like... Bliss, Puerto Rican bliss. Puerto Rican bliss, but But anyway. But just in case you do want to try out social media. Here's what social media is good for. It's good for communicating with me and Ken directly, and we won't allow it forever. Eventually, well, eventually, we'll both die at the ripe old age of 126. Ken will die the day after his birthday. I will have been dead a few years because I'm older than Ken. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you go? Uh, I was taken by a giant <laughs> to, to the, his halls. An Abkhazian yeah, giant walked out of the Caucasus Mountains? <laughs> That's right. And picked uh, you up? I rode, a, I rode a, a, tra- a tame condor to his doorstep. But you can communicate with us. Don't count on it, but... At present time, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can tweet us and text us at our names. You can go to my Instagram account and see all of my, all the Puerto Rican graffiti that I, that I took pictures of recently. Um, Is that a George Lucas movie? Puerto Puerto Rican Rican graffiti. Uh, let's see. Anything else in there? Nothing that matters. You didn't say at Omnibus Project. Oh, In addition to our names, we are collectively at Omnibus Project. Yeah, at Omnibus Project, kind of a clearinghouse site, um, in case you miss an episode. Also, you can go on Facebook, potentially the worst and most toxic environment on the internet, and yet, the Futurelings fan page on Facebook is maybe the best place on the internet. It's like how, it's like colonizing the Mars, just because it's... It's so inhospitable. You yeah. want to see, can human life survive there? And that's what they've done, these wonderful people. The Futurelink site is like the impact point of the Gaia bomb in Star Trek 3. They're terraforming Star Trek 2. Star Trek 2. The II. Genesis Project. The Genesis Project, where they shoot Spock off and he turns, every, he turns the, the burned out planet into a, into a uh, hanging garden. Well, Spock's c- coffin was involved in some 
way, right? Wasn't it? It's the... already been terraformed. Oh. But when they shoot his coffin, that's what brings him back to life. He doesn't terraform it with the algae in his pointed ears or anything. Oh, his de- his deadness goes down and then is itself terraformed? That's, how, that he, that's how he comes back to life. Because he had yes. radiation poisoning or something. Yeah, you'd think, he'd, but but here's the thing. Dr. Marcus used protomatter in the Matrix. Oh. So there, that's what happens when you use protomatter in the Matrix. But he was inside the, and he was like, Jim, I will fight no more forever. I'm going to die unless there's a plot device in the third movie. <laughs> he puts his Katra into McCoy's head, and oh. then his body is uh, uh, revived on the Genesis planet. What's a Katra? It's his, it's his Vulcan solar consciousness. He puts his Vulcan solar consciousness into McCoy? Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's a kind of a sex thing. I is think. there room in McCoy for a Vul- Vulcan solar consciousness? No, M- McCoy starts to go nuts. N- oh. not, not a solar consciousness, a soul or consciousness. Oh, a soul or consciousness. It could be a solar consciousness. That's what I hoped it was. So McCoy starts flipping out because he does not have room to be Spock. Sure. And also Damn it. They're, they're kind of enemies. McCoy's racist about you pointy haired, sure. well, green blooded. He's always mistaking him for a Romulan, and those are pointy haired, green blooded, no good nicks. So you're saying it's okay to be racist about Romulans? I, you know, I have, I actually reference Romulans in a song. Although I am not a nerd, I'm a cool, drug out <laughs> rock dude. Did I you just mentioned Romulans because it just, I don't know what, I read a book about it or something. Anyway, you can also send us packages. Please do send us packages to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, uh, we have no idea how long our civilization survives. We hope it will be as long-lived or possibly as long-lived as uh, Jean Calment herself, another good century in us. Uh, in that case, the catastrophe that is coming for us will be uh, averted. But if that does not happen... If we're all, if the Russian bots succeed in undermining all of our institutions, then this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. This uh, katra that we have implanted in your consciousness. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>